0: This is the Humans of Gaming podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief.
1: Hello and welcome to Humans of Gaming. I'm your host, Drew Dixon. I am the chief content nerd at Love Thy Nerd. Humans of Gaming is part of the Love Thy Nerd podcast network. I'm joined, as almost always, by my co-host, Chris Waltney. Hey,
0: Chris. It kind of it seems like you forgot your name there for a minute. Like did you took it? a little <laughs> bit more of a beat than I, you. Did.
1: Um, you know what I did is Boy. that I almost called this a different name of a podcast <laughs> that I used to do. Uh, wow, close call there. Yeah. That would have been awkward.
0: Hey, I'm Chris. I'm the chief executive nerd with Love Thy Nerd. And here we are. Here
1: we are. Chris, you were just traveling. You were just in kind of this part of the world a little bit like in yeah. the Midwest kind we were of
0: in Columbus, Ohio, because apparently when you live in Southern California, you have to vacation to the Midwest, I guess.
1: You vacation there and you'd sort of like dream about the what if your cost Seasons. of living was like well, yeah. was like somewhat sensible.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. sorry.
1: I had to throw that in there. You just triggered me. I just want you to move to this part of the world so I can see I more. That's that's all it we'll is. We'll figure it out. So we have a very special guest on this podcast as we almost always do, and that's Jamie Madigan. Hey Jamie. Hey guys.
2: I, I think very special guest, maybe overselling it a little bit, but uh <laughs> you know, special guest I think we can Re- go
1: with. Reasonably special.
0: <laughs> that's right. A- Moderately a- special. special guest. Yeah. Marginally special
1: um i i invited you to come on this podcast because i've been reading your book which i really love it's called getting gamers the psychology of video games and their impact on the people who play them um so yeah so that's kind of what made me think to to ask you to come on i've really been enjoying this getting a lot out of like understanding myself as a gamer understanding all my friends and and the people that we serve through love thy nerd who are super into games like just trying to get into their headspace and understand how they tick um, has been really, really cool and really helpful. So, um, but yeah, I guess give us like, how would you introduce yourself aside from having written this book? You also you also have a website some other things. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. tell, tell us what you're about, what you do.
2: Sure, so I am, uh, as you mentioned, Jamie Madigan. I have a PhD in psychology, uh, specifically industrial organizational psychology. And uh, I have a, a day job, Where I apply that IO psychology background, but I also do the whole psychology of games thing on the side and nights, weekends and spare time. And essentially the the shortest way to describe that is that I look at the overlap between psychology and games. So I look at like what the psychology literature and models and theory have to say about like, why does good uh, or successful game design work? Uh, when it does, why do those tropes of game designs work? Um, what happens to people when we play games, and sort of what is some of the psychology behind why games are marketed and sold the way that they are? Uh, so I have um, a website where I post uh, you know text articles every month, and then I also have a podcast uh, where kind of like what you guys do here, I'll have guests from uh, the industry and and you know academics and researchers and people who work. Uh, and do sort of psychology or related field work related to video games. And each episode will kind of tackle a question um, that that guest expert will weigh in on and we'll have a, a discussion. So, yeah, that's
1: the short of it. And so um, how did you get moving down that path of of saying, like, I want to apply my ideas, my thoughts on psychology um, kind of applying the science that I that I do day in and day out to to this medium.
2: It was like almost ten years ago now. It was, was two thousand nine, uh, and I had just gone through sort of like a reading binge, um, reading up on things like behavioral economics and the psychology around decision making, and it was a lot of easy, re- easy stuff. Yeah, you know, easy just stuff. some light beach reading. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: uh, and I thought, wow, this stuff's really interesting, and it can and it, it explains so much about consumer behavior in general, right? And like how we make decisions and, and mm-hmm. why we do what we do. And I thought somebody should really like write about this in the context of video games. Because I kept thinking about like, oh, well, that's why, you know, games are designed this way, or that's why the pricing tiers in games are, are designed this way. And I thought, well, you know, I could do that. I'm somebody, you know, any schmuck can, <laughs> can set up a, a blog these days. Uh, and so I did that. Yeah. Uh, In like late 2009, wrote a bunch of articles and it was, I had intended it just to be kind of a little blogging experiment, you know, maybe do it for a few months and have some fun with it. But it, it kind of caught on, got a lot of people from the industry who would come back regularly and comment. And uh, so I kept it up. And then eventually I thought, well, I should write a book about this. And so I went through the whole process of like finding literary agent and having her like shop the book around and then go through the, the whole contract process and, and just as a first time person, you know, figuring this all out and then actually like writing the book and then having that come out. And about the time that I was wrapping up the book, I thought, you know, like what's better than text is, is listening to people talk. So I decided to start a podcast (laughs) about that time and uh, just posted my uh, 41st episode. I publish about one a month uh, and Mm. just published the 41st episode of that recently. And that's been a lot of fun as well.
1: That's cool. I want to like I, I want to push back a little bit because I feel like you are slightly underselling yourself. Because <laughs> I think this book is, uh, I think it's really substantive. Like you clearly put a ton of research into this. Um, I thought this was this this just stuck out to me um, on the on the back cover of your book. Uh, a quote from Ian Bogost, and he said, "For years now, Madigan has served as the unofficial psychologist of the games industry. If you want to understand how human behavior and games interact." This is the book for you, and um, I'm not nearly as smart as Ian Bogost. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Ian. Uh, but but like that's a really cool like that's that's saying something about the work that you've done yeah. in this space. Like w- when someone who's study games at a at a really high level like Ian Bogos is saying, "Hey, this is the guy that you ought to you ought to be uh, reading on this subject if you understand kind of how games work and and how they're interacting with our brains and that kind of thing, um, right? Yeah, that's that's. And anyway, it's, I thought that was cool. Yeah,
2: and specifically psychology, because when I when I started this, that was kind of a, a hole in the market. There were people, obviously, that were doing uh, research in the realms of psychology and economics and communication around video games. Um, although that that's an area that's that's exploded recently, but there weren't a lot of outlets that were kind of taking that, trying to straddle the line between academic, you know, being academic and being entertaining and for better, Mm -hmm. for better or worse, that was my target and I'll leave it up to everybody else to figure out how close I came to hitting it. But (laughs) you know, the website, like it's the articles that I write on there have citations, you know, where I'll, I'll say in this particular study or this particular theoretical, you know, article that you can find in this referee journal or this book, um, you know, they talk about this and, and that can be applied to video games in the following ways. So I'd have footnotes that were citations, but I'd also have footnotes that were stupid jokes. Uh, you know that I had written uh, <laughs> yeah. to try to, to try, kind of try to be funny, and I, I, I tried to make the tone Just of the to website and, and yeah, and then the book later to be um, both academic and like entertaining. Because I mean, these are video games, yeah. and for the most part, right. video games are played for funsies, and that doesn't mean that there aren't serious questions to be addressed around them. But um, they're always existing in that, con- that context of fun and entertainment. And I tried to make sure that everything I do reflects that.
1: Yeah. And I would echo that. Like I, ha- I have not yet read it cover to cover. I'm I think about halfway. That's okay. Now. We'll wait. Go um, ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but in my experience with the book, I'm not a psychologist. Um, I find psychology interesting. So I'm maybe like slightly more interested in in psychology than the average person but definitely don't know the terms don't know the lingo and i found it pretty accessible so Mm -hmm. so i definitely like recommend it to our our listeners um if you're curious about what games are doing to you and why you act certain ways when you play them um definitely check it out um like uh, just to give some examples to our listeners um there's a chapter called why do perfectly normal people become raving lunatics online so mm. we've all like experienced that right like when you're playing a game and someone makes you feel awful or or maybe you find yourself being like a horrible person as you play <laughs> yep. uh, like there's 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 a chapter there for you so um, another one is how do games get us to grind complete side quest complete side quests and chase achievements. Um a buddy of mine and I were just talking about um like some some of the new games that are out. My friend was complaining about the new Assassin's Creed game, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, mm-hmm. and was talking about how um he just found himself sinking hours into this and then realizing the stuff he was doing in it was so stupid. Trivia. Yeah. Uh, it <laughs> doesn't know? lead to any and, progress uh, in a bigger picture, yeah. Right, Either. and he was like uh and so I was like, towards
0: hey. progress of that platinum trophy?" <laughs>
1: right there i was like there's a chapter in this book you need to read it and it'll Are help you go, talking uh, about clausen
0: no no oh, although
1: he falls into that camp for sure
0: yeah the our, our podcast pro- producer is he's a completionist,
1: a completionist yeah.
2: through and through I and mean, yeah he should read that chapter i'm not sure it'll change yeah. anything but at least
1: maybe he'll understand it'll him. fix it <laughs> maybe he'll understand himself better so anyway but there's all kinds of stuff here there's um you know it's, it's just, it's really, I think, really, really helpful to uh, getting into some of the biggest issues that the gamers face. So, um, yeah, Chris, I think you had a question before we jump get in here too far from one of
0: our. Oh, yeah. So um, we try to, with all of our episodes, um, get our listeners and our biggest supporters involved. So we have a group of folks that every month give money towards making um, Love Thy Nerd happen making our podcasts happen, our website, our outreach events, our community. Um, and one of those supporters who couldn't be here with us today uh, did have a question. And this comes from um, Kyle Matthews. And he, he wanted to ask, what's the biggest misconception outsiders have about video games? I'm assuming by outsiders, he means like maybe people that don't play video right. games or people that don't know a lot about video games or that kind of thing. Um, but he's looking for your, you know, your super smart doctor expertise. So <laughs> like, don't,
2: don't let us know. What down. I'm annoyed by that people don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's yeah. potentially a few different answers to that. One is just that games are bigger than most people assume. You know, the average age of a gamer is much older and many more women play games and girls play games than people would probably guess. Um, so the demographics of it is one thing. Um, but I'd also say that Like, games are so encompassing now and broad of a concept. And, you know, your your AAA PC and console games like Assassin's Creed and, uh, you know, Red Dead Redemption, like, those are a big part of the market. But a lot of people also play, you know, indie games and they play smaller games and they play games on their phone or their tablet. Um, And there's just a lot more variety than you typically hear about if you don't swim in those waters, uh, you know, normally and and don't play games Mm -hmm. yourself. And, you know, a side effect of that is that games have a positive impact on a lot of people. There's a lot of people who have made friends, you know, within games, uh, online multiplayer games, massively multiplayer games, you know, people that have developed relationships that are in many ways just as good and in a few ways better than sort of face-to-face relationships and friendships that they have in person. There's Hmm. a fair amount of really interesting research uh, on that concept of, like what good is a is an well, online relationship?
1: W- mm. w- in what ways might they be better? That piqued my curiosity. So,
2: a lot of times when people have these uh, these friendships and these relationships with people that they don't meet in person, they, and they're pretty sure they will they will never meet in person, they feel a lot more safe, and how much they'll disclose for example, to somebody yeah. and how mm-hmm. intimate they can mm-hmm. become, how quickly they can become. And sometimes that can be very helpful for, for people, you know, they're dealing with issues or if they're frustrated by something going on in their life for them to vent where you wouldn't necessarily do that to your brother or your friend or your coworker, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, because, You've got a relationship to maintain there, and you've got to kind of weigh, you know, like, well, what's this going to make me look like, and how are they going to react in the long term? Um, so that that's one way um, where those relationships don't tend to be as effective is that you can't hit up your guildmate in World of Warcraft for gas money, right? <laughs> or or like a ride.
0: <laughs> that that's a benefit to the person being yeah true.
2: Up, so yeah, maybe it goes both
1: ways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you hear lots of stories. Like I, I certainly have friends who've like been in each other's weddings and they met on World yeah, of Warcraft right. and stuff. So there a lot of times that it that does translate into some can, of the yeah. world uh, things. But, so I, yeah. I wanted
0: to I wanted to hit on something you said right at the beginning when you were answering that question, because this has always been such a weird phenomena to me, and I'm curious about your guys' thoughts. Um more so Jamie than Drew because I hear Drew's thoughts all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, PhD yeah that's right uh so you just at the very beginning you mentioned like video games is a thing that is really big that people don't know about and that is so bizarre to me like red dead redemption 720 million dollars or 725 whatever it was in like three days you know eclipsing infinity wars and we know how big infinity like Everyone knew about Infinity Wars, like even 65-year-old grandmas, like right. it's a big deal. And it's so bizarre to me that video games as an industry, just in terms of dollars or even viewership, you know, Twitch, all that stuff, like it is so big, like bigger than anything. And it still seems underground. And that's such a weird phenomenon. Yeah, me. And I think that a lot of that stuff is gradually changing,
2: uh, but it, it, it takes time yeah. and it takes you know, generations of people. And I think sort of like the line between a lot of that stuff is blurring too. You know, like what's the difference between Mm -hmm. Twitch and social media in general? You know, they're both, they're both sort of social media. It's just that one focuses more on, on gaming typically, although you have a lot of Twitch streamers that do non-gaming stuff as well. Uh, But yeah, Mm -hmm. it is kind of surprising. Mm -hmm. And you even look at things like um, mobile games, you know, like how many people are playing Candy Crush or whatever the new hot, thing is coming out and it's a lot more people than are going to see the biggest blockbuster movie that week or that month Mm -hmm. um it's a lot more people that are watching network tv in some cases um you know a lot of people are doing both right so it's not it's not an either or it's not a competition uh for the most Mm -hmm. part although i don't watch much tv these days while i'm you know playing these big games that are coming out around the holiday release But uh, uh yeah It's huge. And a lot of people don't realize it. And the fact is that if you're not a gamer, you probably have somebody close to you who is.
0: Uh, What you said there at the end about like people that know gamers, I've always thought of it like that. You remember that the game the like seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, you know, where you can like within seven moves, you can get to Kevin Bacon with any actor because he's just been in so many movies with other actors. Like I've always kind of explained it like the one degree of a gamer. Like it's just so big that everybody can just draw one line and they've got like a major gamer in their life, you know, like mm-hmm. husband, aunt, yeah. uncle, kid, cousin, I think That, friend,
2: that term anybody. gamer is subject to some disagreement and some discussion, you know, like oh, what is sure. a gamer? And I, I'm not a gatekeeper on who's a gamer and who's not. I don't ever try to, to tell anybody they are, or aren't, yeah. but, um, you know, there are differences between somebody who will play a game for 20, 30 hours in a week and somebody who plays, um, a mobile game like on their phone while they're on the subway. Or whatever. Um, But I think they're all being touched by the gaming industry, and they're all a lot, those two different kinds of games rely a lot on the same kind of psychology to keep players engaged and to keep them interested and make sure they have fun.
1: Yeah. And in one sense, I guess it's like part of me is like, well, who cares if we consider ourselves gamers or not? Like, we don't call ourselves Mm -hmm. book readers. (laughs) <laughs> or or moviegoers very often. But it does speak to the fact that a lot of people do call them gamers does speak to the depth at which a lot of people play and engage with uh, video games. Um, but I do think that the fact that a lot of people sort of, sort of balk, a lot of people who probably are like quote unquote gamers because they play games on a pretty regular basis, um, don't want to consider themselves that way. I think probably speaks to the importance of of like your book and the work that you're doing, because I think it's important that we as human beings like take stock of how we're spending our time and like what we're engaging with and like how that's impacting us and um, the ways in which it's a really good part of our lives and the ways that maybe, maybe it's not, you know, Um, like I just think that's part of being a healthy human being. So, Mm. um, and the fact that, you know, people don't sort of balk at the title, yeah, I think speaks to the necessity of the, of what you're doing. But, um, you talked, we talked, we sort of got into this a little bit, but, um, I think it's a big topic these days of like when games become maybe an unhealthy part of our life. Uh, there's a lot of talk these days. And I think it's coming up because of Fortnite and things, uh, a lot of frustrated
0: parents, <laughs> Fortnite, uh, yeah, <laughs> sweet Fortnite.
1: <laughs> you know, a lot of, a lot of parents are frustrated about the level at which, um, their kids are playing games, um, but it's not just kids. It's like people in general, um, and we see this a lot. Chris and I do uh, as 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 Christians who are involved in in churches and are kind of connected to that world. Um, there's a lot of people in the church who sort of balk at games because they think of their kids playing Fortnite or they think of their of their buddy at work who they're pretty sure is a little bit too into video games. Um, so yeah, I'd be curious to hear your your thoughts about, um, you know, how do we know when a game becomes like too much or, or it's taking taking more from us than it's Yeah,
2: getting. I mean, generally speaking, I think that if it's interfering with your other responsibilities, that's that's the answer to your question. So if it's precluding you from doing your homework or getting to work on time or um, taking care of your kids or having the social life that, that you want to have or need to have, um, then it's then it's a problem, and then you can figure out how to mm-hmm. balance those things. And it's you know it's ultimately up to the person uh, to do that. But uh, that that's the short answer is that like it starts to interfere with these other priorities in your lives, in, in your life. And then th- that's sort of complicated by yeah. the fact that a lot of times you may see somebody or hear about somebody who goes what looks like overboard into a game, be like, oh man, I, I like played for you know I played Red Dead for eleven hours. Uh, yesterday on a Saturday. And maybe that's okay because like they're off work. um, They don't have any other responsibilities. um, Or maybe like your kid just wants to sit and play Fortnite, but it's summer break and they don't have a lot else going on. And, you know, the fact that they sit and play for four to six hours in a day uh, is not as big an issue as it would be if school were in session and they had school and homework to do. Um, so context
0: is important and, yeah. and what else is going on is important. I think it's like it, there's a lot of knee jerk reactions with stuff like that. You know, um, you hear somebody you know, play for six hours straight. And like you said, like, oh, well, that's just automatically bad. But there's so much context and there's just not a lot of times. And I think for parents, too, there's just not a lot of black and white answers. Sometimes yeah. like it's very mm-hmm. fluid and organic and you have to be flexible and bend and change and be in constant conversation with your kids about yeah. whether it's video games or anything else, um, you know, about boundaries and things like that, because kids are always going to push the boundaries. I mean, crap, adults push boundaries, right? Um, so I think that's just a, it's much more fluid than having mm-hmm. a black, you know, my, I, I can remember for me growing up, like my parents took a very black and white approach. Like uh. you get one hour a day, if you're lucky. And that's it. And so what did you do in those those other hours of the day? Oh, just curled that's, up in the corner in the fetal position, sucked yeah. my thumb and cried simultaneously. Yeah. <laughs> cried uh, for Fortnite. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. You weren't.
1: Fortnite was around then.
0: I probably schemed for ways to get more than an hour or I'd yeah, just go, go to my friend's house and play.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because like I didn't get a lot of. My parents didn't like they would, there would be times I remember when they'd be like, all right, it's time to go outside and turn off the, turn off the games. But by and large, they didn't really monitor what I was doing that much. Mm -hmm. Um, and now like, I think I have pretty responsible gaming habits. Like it's not an issue for me to turn it off. Uh, or, you know, it, it doesn't get in the way. It very rarely gets in the way of my relationships with my kids or my wife. Um, and in the rare instance that it does, my wife's like, Hey, uh, You're playing that a bit too much and, and that's it. Like, like it snaps and I'm like, Oh, yep. Yep. You're right. I need to sun's down. Yep, We should do something here. Um, yeah. But I talked to like, I was just talking to a friend over the weekend. That's like, I mean, they're in the weeds Mm. with Fortnite with their son.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: Like, uh, he, they, they were doing this, like, um, they read some book about logic, about speaking to your kids with love and logic or something. <laughs> and, and my friend was telling me that uh, they were like, you know, um, you get, they they made him decide one hour a day or he can play as much as he wants on the weekends. And he chose mm-hmm. one hour a day. And, uh, and so on the, the weekend came and he was upset that it's the weekend and he only gets to play one hour, even but though that's what all he, of his friends are online playing. That's yeah. what he chose. No, yeah. oh, you right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, so he was like, you know, he, yeah, exactly. And he was like, I, I, I just wish I could, I wish I could be in a different family. I wish I could leave. I just don't want to be a part of this family anymore. And, yeah. yeah. So like he was, uh, he got, he packed up his stuff and like went outside and tried to put up a tent outside. I <laughs> could like oh, live yeah. away from
2: that. Man, if Norman Rockwell were painting pictures today, like that would, that would be a perfect
1: subject. So I don't know, like if you have any insight or like if you were talking to the, a parent who's Who's in it that deep, you know, if you have advice for them?
2: uh, one thing is, as, yeah, I mean, everybody's different, right? So everybody's circumstances are different, but generally, I think that gaming can be an opportunity as well, so you know, my older daughter mm-hmm. um went through a period where she was very much into. Uh, games and she played like competitive online shooters um this was actually before Fortnite blew up so she was playing like team fortress 2 and then she Mm -hmm. moved on to overwatch and she would play in like the competitive tournaments and uh, not tournaments but the competitive mode um the, the career like
1: how high did she get
2: i think she made it to high gold i'm not sure she ever cracked platinum but um yeah she was she, uh, she's fourteen now, so this would have been like maybe a couple of years ago. Okay. Um, so she was doing pretty well, okay. and um, I played with her a lot. So you know, we, we'd sit, and mm-hmm. I have a couple of uh, gaming PCs in the house, and uh, one's actually up in my office, and the other one is down in it's kind of the the basement. And we'd put on the headsets and we'd play. And then prior to that, like we would play com- uh, cooperative games on the consoles, like the the Lego games like lego star wars lego harry potter Mm -hmm. those are great games for younger kids and adults or siblings to play together and for us it was very much um something we would do together um and fun time and it's stuff that like we'd both look forward to and yeah. we would sit there and play for hours and it wouldn't be a big deal because we were spending time together. And then, you know, we'd come back to the dinner mm-hmm. table and annoy like my wife and my other daughter. Cause like we, we'd talk about, you know, games, <laughs> like, Oh, did you see like, you know, the new map that's going to come out next week? Or did you hear rumors about this new hero that, you know, is going to come out in overwatch and like, we'd talk about it yeah. and we'd bond over it. So, you know, if you can do that, great. If you're a gamer, great. You're probably not that concerned about it, may, maybe. Uh, in that case, anyway. But even just like watching them and talking to them about it, and and using it as an opportunity to like converse with your kids. You know, especially as kids get older, it find it, yeah. it sometimes gets more difficult as as your world and theirs sort of start to move away, and they get their own social circles uh, and interests. It it's sometimes a challenge to find common ground and things to talk about. So. Um, a lot of times they're very interested in in talking about that stuff, especially if you're if you play and and if you're Mm -hmm. knowledgeable about it and not like pandering or or just kind of fishing for conversations.
1: With, you know, parents who are struggling with this, I think it can like there's aspects of things like Fortnite and stuff that I'm not like super um or that I get why it produces like a fear of missing out in kids such that they keep coming back to it and and I get it. But I also think what you said is really valuable because um, if all parents, if all kids are hearing from their parents about this kind of stuff is just rules. Um, like I think we're missing an opportunity there, right? Like there's no effort to understand what your kid's into. Um, they're not going to feel very loved. And I think maybe just a little bit of effort to like, get to know what they're into, even if you're not into it yourself, just to try to understand it and talk with them about it could probably go a long way. And them being a little bit, I don't know. Potentially more accepting of the rules you're laying down, and it's also—I don't have like data to (laughs) back that up, but
2: (laughs) yeah. And it's also important to understand like why are they into this game so much? So like why why do they want to play? And that can only come about through conversation and observation. Um, So you know, are they playing so much because they are finding experiences in that game that are more fulfilling than what they're getting in real life? Because games are designed in such a way to make us feel competent and make us feel a sense of progression and make us feel important to other people. And, you know, a lot of times yeah. kids don't get that. A lot of times adults don't get that. And that's the same reason that, that we play games yeah. so much as well. Um, or maybe right. they're, they're doing it to cope with some anxiety issues that they're having or some social, um, you know, issues like this is the only way that I can really like comfortably interact with people or I get anxious when, you know, mm-hmm. trying to go to after school activities uh, and interact with people face to face. Um, And so sort of understanding that can help you as a parent figure out like what you need to do in response.
0: It's funny, like uh, anytime a parent, you know, will be talking to me about, you know, GTA five is Mm. always the hot button one. And I I just tell them like, why don't you ask your kid why they want to run over prostitutes? (laughs) Like, (laughs) just ask them, like, are they doing that because they're a sociopath? Probably not. They're just doing it because they think it's funny or they drop money so they can buy a better car to run over prostitutes with. Like, just ask about it, you know? And I think that the word that you guys are using, that opportunity word, like that's how I think about, you know, my upbringing is I'm not like mad at my parents, I don't think anyway, Um, but it's more so like I'm just bummed because I feel like there's a lot of missed opportunities for us to connect more. Mm-hmm. You know, like for sure. them to engage mm-hmm. in that and for us to have, you know, memories mm-hmm. of of whatever. Yeah. Um, and and it's the- not that I you didn't have those in other ways, but I think video games was such a big part of my life. And that that's all I ever tell parents is like, hey, just get in there. Like we do it with yeah. football. We do it with soccer. We do it with any number of other extracurricular things. Like why not do it with this thing? And just get in there and get yeah. your hands dirty and find out how your and kid even ticks. when you yeah.
1: and just for the record, I did want to say one thing for the record: like we're not advocating that anybody get games for sure. their kids that are inappropriate yeah. for their age level. So <laughs> <laughs> if you if you wanna if you're upset about what Chris said, just email him <laughs> Chris at lovelynerd.com yeah. <laughs> about GTA email, Five. Anyway, email sorry. All
0: no,
2: I was gonna <laughs> just mention that even if you do all this and and understand and use it as an opportunity to buy to bond and and grow closer and all that like ultimately you're still a parent and it's okay for you if you decide that no you need to take a break or no i'm signing yeah. you up for soccer because right. you know you need to be part of a, a sport a, a team oriented yeah. sports um diversify that that, mm-hmm. that is still ultimately your prerogative yeah. you know as a parent um kids are stupid and they don't always yeah. know <laughs> maybe stupid's not the right word, but they're uh, <laughs> they have limited uh, yeah, wisdom fair. and I limited perspective. Fair. And, you know, you as, you as the parent, you as yeah. the adult can sort of set limits and boundaries. And I'd be curious to should. hear
1: your thoughts on some of the talks that's going around the industry now about potentially like regulating some games because of their like addictive qualities. So, I'm trying to think of who I've seen. I just, I know I've read some articles where people, and it's not just, this is not just coming from like angry parents or something. Um, Like there's actually people in the industry that are making this, um, this claim. I think I saw an article by Peter Farquhar. I don't know how to say his last name about this issue with regard to Fortnite. Um, And then I know um, uh, Jonathan Mm -hmm. Blow has talked about this some as well. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Jonathan Blow who made the witness and, uh, and braid. Um, so we, kind of one of the pioneers of the indie game movement. Um,
0: yeah, I'd be curious well, to wasn't hear. Wasn't there, it was a couple of years ago or they passed some regulations in the EU or something, didn't yeah, they?
1: Yeah, there are some in the UK. Uh, regulations that, right? around what? Jamie, do you know? Around like a, di- like a warning layboxes yeah. like and that all that stuff. I, I'm not sure, games. although I
2: know that they've certainly been very sensitive to that and they, um, have come out with their version of the ESRB, the, the Peggy rating system. And it will, uh, I think they're right. required to notify consumers of, of certain things that the game contains. Right. Yeah,
1: um, Yeah. so I just, do you think there should be some regulation or at least like some warning labels about things like loot boxes or games that use like, um, you know, like like mechanics with Fortnite where it's kind of encouraging you to keep keep right. playing uh, or else you'll... Or else you have to sp- spend real world money uh, if you want, you know, those skins. Yeah.
2: Or- I mean, generally I'm less in favor of the government stepping in and, and trying to ham-fistedly fix this sort of stuff, uh, as opposed to the industry itself figuring it out and self-policing, much like they did with uh, ratings, right. like the ESRB ratings. Mm-hmm. Uh, where like in, you know, back in the early to mid-90s yeah, yeah. and people on Capitol Hill screaming about Mortal Kombat and that whole stuff started to precipitate and the one of the resolutions of that was the the rating system so you're like okay this is appropriate for these age groups and and then there's like tags where they can say it depicts like alcohol consumption or that kind of thing um so i'm I'm generally Mm -hmm. in favor Mm -hmm. of the industry figuring it out for themselves and fixing the problem themselves, um, because I think the government has a poor to moderate track record in terms of of, of how well they address that sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> sure. There are yeah. so more information is always better, right? So if you can if you can put in uh, somewhere mm-hmm. on the box or have some sort of supplement. Um, to your marketing material or information about the game that says like, hey, this game offers in-game purchases and this game offers, um, you know, loot boxes or some words to that effect where, you know, random, you have an opportunity to spend mm-hmm. uh, money to get random rewards, um, then that's going to be valuable right. for, for anybody who's looking at that game and to see whether or not it's their bag. Um, so, yeah, I, and this stuff's yeah. blown up a lot in the last year or two, right? So the whole it was sort of being addressed mm-hmm. a lot before and uh and then there was the star wars battlefront 2 which pushed it to the forefront you know where it had very much had like the, the pay to win <laughs> mechanics where you could spend real money to unlock yeah. or have a greater chance of unlocking um things that would give mm-hmm. you a competitive advantage in this very competitive you know competition oriented game um yeah. so that,
1: yeah, and it's interesting that like people like gamers kind of placed that one like <laughs> you know what i mean like <laughs>
0: They, they, they sure did. Oh, freaked man.
1: out about EA's decision and uh, and EA, you know, kind yeah, of, yeah, well, they
2: radically redesigned parts of that game and they pulled the plug on their, their online store and they did yep. a lot of really drastic damage control. And then you look at like some of the, the language that they're using for, what is it? Battle, bat, what's the next Battlefield game that's coming out in later this year, um, but uh, uh, yeah, know. but okay. they're being I like very careful and very specific in the way they're addressing the um, whether or not those kinds of mechanics mm-hmm.
1: will be in the game sure.
2: or yeah. whether they'll be in at launch versus coming
1: later. Yeah, And, and it's so- interesting that like gamers are totally fine with like Overwatch or Fortnite uh, when it's just like cosmetic mm-hmm. stuff primarily that you can spend money on um, or loot boxes. They're like, oh, yeah, great. Fine, give me a chance to put that coin in the slot machine and pull the lever. Like, totally good with that. But if it's like a pay-to-win mechanic, right. it's like. Well, I think a lot of it, like you put
2: your finger on, comes down to whether or not it gives you an advantage over other players. And there, there's been research on like mm-hmm. envy and the attitudes that players have towards other players who have done something like that, where they've they've bought a competitive advantage instead of earning it in game, and you know, yeah, that they view it that way it's kind of cheating in, in some ways it, yeah. and they'll be like well i don't want to party with this person you know party up in like a group with this person i don't want to uh, you know i won't congratulate them i don't want to accept their friend request <laughs> you know like they're much less likely to do those kinds of things mm-hmm. if they perceive that the other person has bought some sort of advantage or gotten it unfairly um, but they don't have the same attitude where like if you just yeah. leveled up by playing the game and earned a loot box and got something cool out of it from random chance mm-hmm. um, then those attitudes
1: are not as severe. There's part of me that sympathizes with the pay-to-win idea because I remember, like, being pretty fresh. Like, I th- maybe it's changed now, but several years ago, playing one of the Call of Duty games, and you know, it was like a level up system where the more you played, you could get some mm-hmm. different like uh, loadout bonuses and things, uh, like a better loadout and things. And I would, I just convinced myself that that's why I was terrible was because I hadn't played it <laughs> enough. And I was playing against people that had a better loadout. And I might have actually spent money on that if I could just buy the better loadout rather than earning it. (laughs) But but I get it. I get why. And that that sort of speaks to how gamers, I think, a lot of times think. Like, if there's anything we hate, it's the idea of people, like, cheating to get an advantage or or not earning it, you know?
0: I wonder if there... I mean, maybe there are. I've never really looked. But, like, I'd love to see the statistics about... The demographics of people that are actually doing the pay to win stuff. Like, is it mostly kids that mm-hmm. are taking their parents' card to do it? Yeah. Or is it people like our age who are old yeah. and tired, but have money and would rather, you know, like they don't, we don't have six hours a day to play games. Yeah. But we've got some money and we can take some shortcuts with that money. Like, I'd be interested to see what the. Yeah, I can't point you well, to a source but
2: at least anecdotally and I think I've want to say I've read some stuff that says that yeah it's usually older people who have money that are the ones that spend it right because kids either don't have money or they don't have access to mm-hmm. a credit card that's that's needed to to buy through these games through these systems right um, although I hope they don't mind if I tell this story but like um, the one of our friends in our neighborhood son teenage son like racked up $400 on his parents' credit card uh, in Rainbow Six Siege uh, Ooh, add-ons nice. uh, earlier this year. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they got the billing statement without their permission. Yeah. And they without got the their billing statement and I'm just sure. exploded. Yeah. And it, it, it was like oh. the nuclear option. Like, okay, you, you are not allowed to touch a keyboard. You cannot use the computer, period. Don't tell me it's for school. <laughs> you, you know, use the yeah. Chromebook that they, they give you for that uh-huh. stuff. Um yeah. For, for like a long time. Um, so that, that stuff does happen, but, uh, That's I imagine that it's relatively rare, yeah, thankfully.
1: Yeah. You got to lock that stuff down. Uh, my kids are not, uh, yeah, we make sure all their, if they're ever on an yeah. iPad or anything like that, that you know, all that stuff's locked down so they can't waste a bunch of our money because my daughter <laughs> would buy every stupid app uh, <laughs> in-app purchase in these yeah. games that she plays on there every now and then. But, uh, it sounds exhausting yeah. to have some, kids. It takes them out of A.M., them,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm curious, do you have, like, conversations with, you said, I guess one of your daughters is yeah. a gamer, so is the other two, one not? You said um, you have two daughters?
2: Both of them kind of are in and out of it. Um, one of them was in, the younger one was into Roblox, which I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with, but it's, it's like a platform. It looks yeah. like Minecraft, yeah, like yeah, but it's more like a platform for a ton of different games. Okay. And she was, like, super intensely into that, and then I think... She yeah. felt like she aged out of it, or she burned out, and now she's on to like watching um, mm. like game product review unboxing videos on YouTube for some reason I can't fathom. But uh, and <laughs> yeah, my yeah. my older one was very much Kids into it, uh, and she still does a play occasionally play some stuff with her friends, uh, but she's into other stuff now. But you know, they
1: may okay. go back. So when they were playing games, would you have like conversations with them about these kind of things that you're researching, like? like, uh, achievements or, um, you know, yeah. or, or how loot boxes work or things where you tell them, like, do you realize that this is like a, basically yeah. like a Pavlovian <laughs> sponsor? I mean, I never like had to have a
2: conversation because they had, they did something. Um, cause I, I kind of put the fear of God into him early on saying like, okay, any device you ever make an unauthorized purchase on, you lose access to that device forever. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, I was like, mm. this is non-negotiable. Oof. This is, and it's never happened, thankfully, um, that I know of. Um, but I would, I would talk yeah. to them about it. Yeah. I mean, especially if I was like just watching them play or playing with them and, you know, I'd say like, oh yeah, you know, this is, there's this psychological mm-hmm. theory that says this is, you know, driving you to want to play one more match that you can get up to the next level, uh, for example, or whatever, uh, now. and they're like shut up dad everything yeah
0: dad i just want to play uh
2: (laughs) yeah shut up (laughs) so embarrassing tell everybody to subscribe to your twitch channel um but yeah (laughs) now i and i would have like just Uh, sort of anecdotes uh about them too that i would sometimes use in my podcast like talk about stuff that they have done or observe observing things that they Mm -hmm. did because i don't i don't play a lot of roblox Mm -hmm. but it was interesting you know, to talk to my daughter and, and see her experiences yeah.
1: playing. Do, do you, do they listen? Like do when you have these, do you, do you feel like it's helped them have like, get more out of um, I the don't games know. they play?
2: Yeah. It's, it, it's hard to say. I hard mean, to say. especially the older one. Yeah. Right. The
0: maybe right they'll moment. tell you one day when they're 20.
2: Uh, yeah. The older one, maybe more so. Cause yeah. she's more thoughtful in that way and more introspective. And then the younger one is much more mm-hmm. high energy uh, less introspective, more just like, I want to tell you everything about my day and everything that I've done and no, shut up. Don't (laughs) try to
1: explain it. I'm still Mm -hmm. telling you about, you know, my day. Um, so they're very different. What are you, uh, one of the big things about your, your book, getting gamers is the impact of games on the people who play them. Um, I'm curious if you could give us like a couple of things, like what's, what are the best things that games have to offer us? Like what, what are the be- what are the ways, what are the, some of like the top mm-hmm. good things we're getting?
2: So, yeah, in some ways this kind of ties into um, the stuff that we were just talking about. I think one of the, the major things that I can point to for games is that they are a gateway to new skills for a lot of people. So a lot of people got their start in coding, um, or writing, or creating art, because they wanted to either just do something to celebrate their favorite game, or they wanted to actually create like a mod, or um, you know, their own game, or something along those lines. You know, yep. I back in the day, like I mm-hmm. learned uh, HTML and CSS uh, in the early days of the web, so that I could make fan sites um, for my games, and that sort of led to you know other opportunities. Oh gosh, so the first one I did something games? for was Quake Two. Uh, and I, I, did other stuff for oh, cool. like, um, what was it? I did some stuff for Quake Three as well. Um, an old game called Hexen Two from Activision it was a uh, yeah, like I first, remember it. I mean, oh, those yeah. were like Quake Engine those games. Were like, yeah. yeah, yeah, I remember that uh, stuff like that. And then yeah. that sort of led to me <laughs> having the opportunity to do some like freelance writing about games uh, and game reviews and other types of writing. And then that led to some opportunities for me to work in the games journalism area uh, for a few years. And then that all ultimately led you know, to the psychology of game stuff. And my older daughter um, is very artistic and she would make uh, drawings. She would draw like stuff from the games she was playing and make fan art and so forth. And she uh, learned to mm-hmm. do digital art uh, in like Photoshop uh, a, or a Photoshop-like program, uh, you know, with a tablet and all that sort of stuff. So, and lots of other people, like I said, mm-hmm. learn sound design, or they learn podcasting, or they learn coding um, because of their passion for games, and they wanted to contribute something to the community through that. Um, mm-hmm. And the other big thing that I think the benefit that games have on people is that they just they make them happy. They make them, you know, enjoy life, and they make them enjoy what they're doing. And there's mm-hmm. a fair amount of research in the psychology field to show that, um, doing things like that, that you enjoy, including games, um, reduces stress and helps you cope with stress. And it makes you like a better, uh, more easygoing and more productive person when you go into work or school the next day, you know, if you've, if you've had some fun, be it through video games or, yeah. uh, some other hobby or sport or whatever that you enjoy. Uh, and so it's, it's video, there's such a low air uh, barrier mm-hmm. to entry for playing games. that's a source of stress reduction and enjoyment for a lot of people. Where you know I can't get nine other people together to play mm-hmm. baseball or or whatever. I don't. Know. However many people are needed for baseball, I have no idea. That tells, tells you how yeah. much I know about sports. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think ball. so. That sounds right.
1: Uh, w- it's nine, right? Isn't it nine? Sure. I think it's. I thought it was like eleven. I don't yeah. know. Baseball is my, my least favorite <laughs> sport. Football's so. football's eleven. Yeah.
0: This is terrible. I mean, there's so many people cringing right now.
1: I actually, I actually do like sports. I just, baseball's like my, I hate it. The really yeah, so baseball's boring. Boo. It's interesting, though, what you said about um, games making us feel good, because I'd be curious to hear if you agree with this, Chris, as someone mm-hmm. who kind of has spent some time in the church with Christians and things. But I think that's like a hard one for Christians to accept. You know what I mean? Like, like they hear that mm-hmm. one of the values of games is that they make people feel good, and then um, I think there's like some, well, that only that Jesus like,
0: should make you feel good. Right? So that, like,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, like only Jesus should make you feel good or, oh, that must right. mean that games are yeah. like an idol or something. That yeah. people are, um, whereas like, there's all kinds of other things that we do to, primarily because they make us feel better about ourselves or, or, or whatever. Or we just enjoy them um mm-hmm. like reading books or or even watching films to some degree or or even some TV shows that were like oh no that's fine but like don't play a video game to feel good about yourself you must be like that must be an unhealthy coping mechanism totally um whereas like i think um gosh i would like to see a lot more christians just have a general attitude of like we want <laughs> our kids to feel generally good about themselves we want and not just our kids but like people in general like if someone's doing something because um it 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 helps them alleviate some of their anxiety or just gives them a chance to decompress and 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 be happy for a little bit like like why is that why do we think of that as a bad thing?
0: Yeah, God forbid it yeah yeah it's I love my wife. this will connect, I promise because she's not like a gamer at all uh video games, board games, none of it, but she's a big reader. she loves reading fiction and she will like, Ardently defend video games to like she, she's a part of these like ladies' groups that tends to be like a lot of older ladies, and you know, yeah, kind of. Uh, and they'll just get you know going on some rant about how video games are just the devil, and she will defend it tooth and nail because she's like, it's so much more interactive than she's like, you know, when I'm reading, like (laughs) I'm literally just sitting there hallucinating for hours. You know, like, at least with a video game, there's agency and interaction and, like, activity. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just, yeah, it it still blows my mind. Or people that, you know, I know of that will spend four hours a day watching TV. And it's so passive. And it's fine. Like, I, I watch TV, too. But what bugs me is when it's, like, those comparisons start to happen and somehow... Video games always end up with the short end of the stick.
2: Communications literature, they call that co-creating. Like video game experiences are co-created between the player and the designers of the game. And any Mm. one of those groups by themselves doesn't accomplish anything with a video game. It takes both of them.
1: Yeah, like we're working on a collaborative article that we're going to publish hopefully on Love Thy Nerd here pretty soon called Crimes We Accidentally Committed in Red Dead Redemption 2. <laughs> oh my, it's going to be a long article.
0: <laughs> yeah. Are so- you playing it, Jamie?
1: I am, yeah.
2: yeah. I, I accidentally shot a guy in the face like trying to <laughs> say hello. Oh I think God. so many – because yeah. the controllers are so contextual and so kind of wonky. Uh,
1: yeah, the same button to like hold to um, interact with people and say hi or defuse a situation is the same button that – you would also maybe cause you yep. to draw out your gun. So it's a common that's problem. Nice. But anyway, all that to say, like, it's really funny to see how unique people's stories are interacting with that game. It really is one of those instances where someone makes a game and then hands it over to players and they don't know exactly what kind of experience they're going to have. Like, they have some some ideas, but um, but it's that's part of what makes it really a really unique medium to engage with. I'd be curious to hear, though... Um, if you Jamie have had experience like talking to really religious people about that subject of like um, you know games making us feel good or that kind of thing have you have you had to address any of those kind of questions of people who are kind of up in arms about it? Well, it's it's a fake you know yeah. feeling good about yourself. It's you're doing that in a in a, a fictionary world. Like how can that be healthy? Right. So that
2: that kind of for lack of a better word, puritanical view. Oh, that's a perfect of, word. You know for sure. anything yeah. that makes you feel. Yeah. Anything pleasurable yeah. is bad. Short of, mm-hmm. The shortcut version of that. I can't say that I have, um, you know, and I, I talked to plenty you. of religious people. What's that? Lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, most of the concerns are around like, how is this uh, affecting my kid's health yeah. or their school or mm-hmm. their social?
1: So we asked, I asked the question of, of what are the, you know, give us a couple of the ways that Video games are impacting us in healthy ways, in ways that are, are good, some of the benefits of games. Um, you know, I do want us to try to, like, make an effort to be honest to our uh, listeners, people who might be listening to this, who, who are concerned about some of the shortcomings. What, what do you see as some of, like, the shortcomings or things you, you would say to people, like, things are things you need to be aware of as you play mm-hmm. games, as you engage with them, kind of like the top two or so um, things to be uh, wary of.
2: Yeah. Well, they're really expensive uh to you know a new game is 60 bucks and, and then you can pump game pump money into games and after uh you know, in-game purchases mm-hmm. um but besides that uh and there's certainly ways around that um one of the biggest problems that I think the the gaming community and game developers kind of share is toxic behavior mm-hmm. uh, online um so there's a whole you know as I think you mentioned it earlier I've got a whole chapter on this in my book about the psychology behind toxic behavior why are people screaming lunatics and why are they mean uh and what are what are the psychological roots behind that and then interestingly how those same psychological theories can explain why people are cooperative and nice in certain situations Mm. but that is i think that's sort of another um stigma that gets attached to to gamers as well is that you're the somebody that plays a lot of games is the 30-year-old dude in his parents' basement who's just yelling at people over Xbox Live mm-hmm. uh, and, and calling them all sorts of unmentionable things. Uh, and those people are out there um, and people like them who are from all different kinds of demographics are out there. And it's it's a problem. Um, so, you know, being exposed to that sort of stuff is not pleasant. Um, it's the thing, kind of thing that I don't want my kids necessarily exposed to. Um, you know, real racist homophobic uh sexist all kinds of that awful kinds of language that can come across there mm-hmm. um it's is something you know that people sort of have to get exposed to eventually in the world but you know do you want to sit down for three or four hours and, and sort of listen to that sort of thing or do you want to just turn your mic
1: off uh when you, yeah. when you
2: play the latest uh, competitive shooter or or whatever it happens to
1: be i'd be curious to hear if you have any insight into like because One of our goals at Love Thy Nerd is to be, like, it's in the name. Like, we want to be really good neighbors to people who are engaged in gaming and nerd culture. Um, And so one of our goals is to, like, promote, um, like, for lack of a better word, like, to promote goodwill. um, And encourage people to be better (laughs) online. Like, to be better to one another. Um, and, And like you said, toxicity is a big problem in gaming culture. Right now, do you have any like tips or whatever about how to encourage that, how people who are listening to this podcast can be, um can encourage, I mean, we're not going to, like trolls are really hard to, right. to change their minds on things, but how can we promote, you know, more kind, more kindness? Yeah. And you're right that like trolls
2: are people who set out to deliberately be awful because <laughs> they, they get a kick out of it mm-hmm. or, or it's some sort of social status thing to them where they're, they're trying to impress other people. Like, I don't I don't know how much you can do about those people, except mute them or don't associate mm-hmm. with them. But I think in a lot of situations, you know, it it comes down to the psychology of, of what we call de-individuation, where you feel like you're part of a crowd and your identity kind of gets lost in that crowd. And you start to take on the identity of the people around you, or you start to look for Uh, Clues on how to behave in this kind of strange, uncertain situation by looking at what other people around you are doing. And so when you get in situations like that, you get more susceptible than normal to those kinds of suggestions or uh, uh, clues or stimuli, things around you. And that's why, you know, you may play a game. And if uh, it's a very like, you know, War oriented game where you're, you're being very aggressive or it's a sports game where you're being very aggressive. And that may sort of set up the expectation that like, OK, maybe this is a direction that you can go if you don't know how to behave or what to say. You know, maybe you can talk trash. Um, so mm-hmm. one way to kind of short circuit that. It, you know, if you're a gamer is try to get out ahead of that situation and be friendly proactively. Right. So if you, you set the tone for the conversation yeah. and that exchange and that social situation, people who are looking for guidance on how to behave, even subconsciously, you know, will see you being friendly to your other teammates and being friendly to them. And they'll be more likely to behave that way, or at least maybe to not behave in mm. a different way. Um, you know, there's, there's been some experiments, um, Uh, Riot Games, who make uh, the MOBA League of Legends, you know, did some studies where they looked at, like, okay, what if we take, like, three people who are friends, like, they're on a friends list together, and so they're relatively nice to each other, and then we pair them with, like, we fill out the rest of the group with strangers, Mm -hmm. so that, like, the friendly people are in the majority, and the, the strangers are in the minority, and they found that when they did that, the, you know, the two people, two other people in the group or whatever would look to that situation and see like, okay, these people are being chill. They're being friendly. Uh, or if they are trash talking, it's done in a way that's very Mm -hmm. clearly like good natured, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind kind of ribbing that you might find among friends and the researchers there found fewer examples of, um, bad language or objectionable language or, you know, people reporting others for abuse, uh, in those kind of situations.
1: That's great. That's a really simple Mm -hmm. thing that we can all uh, make an effort to do. Um, And uh, yeah, I think it goes a long way every little bit. So that's cool. Uh, Well, we've (laughs) talked for almost an hour (laughs) here and uh, yeah, we didn't really get into any personal questions, uh, but I do want to ask if you've still got some more time to chat a few, a few personal questions about your background. Where'd you grow up? Uh, So I grew up
2: in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Um, born in Oklahoma city moved to Tulsa by the time I was about three,
1: I think uh, with my mom and dad and sister. All my family is originally. From Oklahoma. Oh, yeah? What part? Uh, Ponca City and Blackwell. Do you know where those places are? I know where Ponca City
2: is. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So I still go to Ponca City every now and then to visit my grandmother. So, yeah. Yeah. Did you like growing up in that area or was it like, I got to get out of this place? I
2: did. I, You know, I lived there until actually I went to um, college at the University of Tulsa uh, there. So I stayed there until I went to graduate school. Um, So until I was like 21, almost 22. Um, and I I liked it. It was a a good place. It's a big enough uh, city that you got pretty much pretty much everything you you know you'd want in terms of amenities and entertainment and yeah. facilities and so forth. So it was nice. And my mom's family is from a, a little tiny town called Sulphur, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. That's uh like southeast of uh, Oklahoma City, and we would we would go there for big family gatherings like. Thanksgiving and Christmas
1: sounds probably like what my experiences were yeah. going to Blackwell
0: and Oklahoma and Ponca City. Uh, Ponca yep. City, that just sounds like a city in uh, Mario. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's um, Get it's the Ponca Hat. It's, I think it's an American yeah. Yeah. American Native.
1: Uh, yeah her uh, name. so The Ponca part. Were, yeah. yeah, the Ponca part. Not so Not much the city, city but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. Um, did you, was, like, what did your parents do growing up? Uh,
2: so my mom was a stay-at-home mom. She raised me and my sister. My dad was a loan officer in a bank. So he was okay. a banker. And by the time uh, I was a teenager, he was like a senior vice president. But I think like everybody that works at a bank, is like a senior vice president. I think like they give those titles out to, to like everybody, but yeah. I get the impression nice. that he was, he was up, kind of high uh, up in the bank, kind of a huge deal. Yeah.
1: Did you um, grow up going to church or anything like that?
2: Yeah. So I I was raised Southern Baptist. Um, Like, okay. Yeah. yeah. Like most of the people in, uh, in Oklahoma or <laughs> in Tulsa at that yeah. time anyway. Um, so yeah, we, we kind of grew up in the church there. And then um, when I, ended up going to college, uh, even there at the university of Tulsa, uh, I kind of dropped away from that and, you know, stopped going to the church that I'd gone because like all of my friends that I'd been in like youth group with sort of dispersed. Right. So they all went mm-hmm. to like college in different places. Uh, and then I, uh, so kind of stopped going to that church, uh, about
1: the time that I went, went off to college. It's a really common, um, it's a really common thing. Uh, I read, I read, a, or I'm working on a research project, uh, actually about why people leave the church in college and the current statistics are like 66%. Yeah. So by the time you graduate college, 66% of people who were teenagers who were involved in, in church, like in their, in their high school years, by the time yeah. they graduate college or, or whether they go to college or not, um, by the time they're like 12 and Sixty percent of them sixty six percent of them are no longer in the
2: And that was about the time that I also stopped keeping in touch with my high school mm-hmm. friends, right? For a lot of the same reasons is that they, they went off. And these were the days before Facebook and social media. So we didn't yeah. even have that to keep so, us connected. So
1: it wasn't really like a like a like a theological or even necessarily like philosophical thing of things you didn't like about it necessarily. It was just kind of like
2: it was a it was a little column A, a little column B. Uh, you know, to tell you the truth. So, you know, growing up in the The that church was extremely conservative, uh, and they I I kind of had clashes with a lot of the you know people that a lot of the adults there and parents and and so forth. Uh, So, like when you were in high
1: school, you had clashes, or
2: yeah, middle school and high school, but more so probably in high school. Can you give us an Um, example?
1: I'm curious of like what a clash would be. Like some of those people, like you were playing Quake. (laughs) <laughs> and they were like, Quake's evil.
2: No, it didn't have anything to do with that. It was it was more around like popular okay. music, for example. So oh, yeah. like we would go on these mission trips where- We didn't know only, what
1: Quake was back no, then. No,
2: this was like a good <laughs> 10 years before Quake came out. Maybe I'm dating myself. Oh, okay. But this was like yeah. the early to mid 80s um, okay. that cool. this would have been because uh, I started college in 1990. Um, so- like we would went on like a missionary trip, and you know we would do these things, and we would like go to the Wisconsin Dells or like drive down to someplace in Texas, and partner with like a church there, and we'd go out and um, to like public parks, and we would try to get people to come, and we would do like Bible stories for the kids, and yeah, like a backyard Bible. Exactly, like yeah, and it was like a like a yeah. roving backyard, like a roving VBS, Vacation Bible School, um, and then like the adults in the group would you know try to uh, Tell people about, you know, Jesus and the church and proselytize to them and all that sort of stuff. And these, these were a lot of fun because it was like, you know, we got to go hang out with our mm-hmm. friends and we do this sort of stuff during the day and then we'd have fun at night. And, um, but I, I made yeah. the cardinal sin of bringing my Walkman, again, dating myself a little bit, <laughs> my, uh, my Walk Walkman man. cassette tape player uh-huh. with my new copy of uh, Hysteria by Def Leppard and uh, a couple of other cassettes of you know van halen and so forth the this music that i loved devil music devil music and yeah. they i got in a lot of trouble with that and they took it away and gave me a good scolding and then like when we came back um they wanted me to read this book about like basically how oh, the devil gosh. was like corrupting youth through uh rock and roll music yeah. and it's probably something that like today you could replace Mm -hmm. rock and roll music with video games. And it would be largely the (laughs) same conversation that we were having earlier. Um, Yeah. So maybe there's my answer, but you know, he, he, Mm. the leader of our youth group tried to get me to, to read this book and I actually did like skim through it. And even like at that age, I was like, this is complete balderdash. Like this, this is like, this is barely (laughs) legible. Like this, this person can barely string sentences together and it's all like pearl clutching and it makes no sense. And he's, describing things that are very literal. Um, And, you know, it's not like I could say like, Oh, I was a junior psychologist budding, you know, there. And (laughs) I wanted more (laughs) empirical proof. It wasn't anything like that. It was just like, this is, this is absolutely like nuts. And they were like, you need to like write an essay about this book and tell me why you were wrong. They told you to write an essay? To bring this stuff. And I was like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. And they were like, well, no, you have to. And we're going to go get your mother. And so I was like, be my guest, man. And wow. so they went and like got my mom and had like a conversation with her. And she took like uh, one look at the book and she was like, he's right. This is ridiculous. He's not going <laughs> <laughs> to do this.
0: Oh man. Yeah, Way to go. She was mom. great. Like,
2: hey, yeah, she, she was rad. like very liberal in a lot of ways, like socially liberal. Oh, um, cool. But she grew up in the church and she took it very seriously. And she was very active in the church. But yeah, even she took one mm-hmm. look at that and was like, no, like, yeah. like you guys were right to take the cassette, player away from him because you had told him like before you even left that these things weren't allowed yeah. so he broke that rule and i get that but like let's leave it there um but she yeah. was yeah. i mean she was great like i was into dungeons and dragons as a kid and she totally well, supported you, me there and would i mean take that, me that was the, the hobby thick shop, of that you know. whole yep, panic that was the age for it so. right when tom hanks was in You're tv in movies that. about kids getting like caught up in dungeons and dragons <laughs>
0: you're in the thick uh, of it but
2: she was like he's yeah. he's like reading and he's playing yeah. with his friends yeah. like
0: what's the problem here this is like not not an issue dude this story is yeah. why 66% of people leave the church it's part it's they, part of it for sure when they get out <laughs> like,
1: like ugh. yeah the research that i was looking at says a lot of people would just kind of leave they don't really have a good reason for it necessarily but there is some research that we that i've seen that's like connected to perceptions about judgmental attitudes and that kind of thing. I think it's different. Mm-hmm. I think those are a lot less severe. Like, thankfully, I'm not hearing any stories these yeah. days of churches trying to make people write essays. <laughs> <laughs> just, just like that's got to be a surefire ticket to disinterest. But today, it would be like
2: you need to write a tweet about what you did,
1: why what Post you did about was 240
2: wrong. characters. Post yeah. to Instagram, make,
1: make your uh Snapchat story about why you're, that's right. Um, oh gosh, and if you forced a kid to do that on Snapchat, they would never, they would not ne- that would be it, they would be done with the church forever. But uh, but yeah,
2: yeah, so it was just it was a lot a lot of repeated stuff like that. And then there was some like very thinly veiled like racism and you know, those types of views from, from certain people in the church, it wasn't widespread. And this was like nothing that I would expect to happen from, you know, my family or or other people in there, but like it kept coming up and I'm like, these people are like in charge, Um, you know, you're putting them in charge of activities and in, in positions of authority and that sort of Mm -hmm. stuff. So I kind of just didn't go back. But actually, like uh, when I was in college, uh, I started dating this girl who uh, would go on to become my wife. And she was uh, a very uh, she'd grown up Mm -hmm. Catholic. Mm -hmm. And so now, like these days, both of our girls are, are Catholic. And We go to Catholic mass every, every Sunday and I go with them and I, you know, support them and all that sort of stuff. I haven't gone so far as to convert mm-hmm. to Catholicism because I have some very specific problems with the Catholic church and, and their, their dogma and doctrine and some of their mm-hmm. politics. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know. On on the surface, most of what they had to say is the the best of what was being said in the Baptist church, you know, yeah. about how to treat people well, how to take care of people who are disenfranchised and, and out of luck and, and in need of help mm-hmm. and uh, how to, you know, apply all of the lessons that Jesus had for those types of things. Yeah. Although occasionally he'll get up there and he'd be uh, the priest will be like okay, now I'm going to tell you why homosexuality is wrong. And, <laughs> and he'd go on for 20 Trigger. minutes. Yeah. And I, my wife and I would look at each other and, and we are like, okay, we're having a conversation with the girls on the way back home mm-hmm. after this. Yeah. And right. like, this is why the priest was wrong on this particular topic. And, you know, or he'd get up there and talk about, here's why women can't be priests or here's why, uh, you know, birth control should be not allowed uh, and that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. So there are certain hot button topics right. that we greatly disagree with, but in general, like I'm happy <laughs> that they're getting that upbringing and they're getting exposure to all, of, all of those lessons.
1: The other so lessons. So you have uh, like, like I know you kind of had the, you had the falling out with your Baptist upbringing, which we, we've talked about. And then now it's, you've sort of landed in this place where you're going to church, but it, you, you're not completely bought in. Um, you see, you know, you see the value in it, which, which, yeah, which I think is, I appreciate you like admitting that you see value in it. Uh, would, would you classify yourself as like some like where are you on the belief spectrum or whatever? <laughs> do you do you have a sense of that? Well, I'm gonna
2: need some anchors on this scale, uh, <laughs> uh
1: between Richard yeah. Dawkins and oh Mother Teresa.
2: Well, <laughs> yeah, I've got a whole
1: <laughs> separate
2: set scary. of beef with Richard Dawkins, uh, but yeah, <laughs> um, no, I mean. Above the midpoint, definitely. So, you know, I believe in God and I believe that the, the Bible has uh, some very valuable uh, lessons on how to live and how to treat other people. Uh, I th- I think that it is silent on many other issues that we have to make up our minds for ourselves and, f- and figure out ourselves based on where society is now. And sort of taking a larger application yeah. of, hey, just be excellent to each other uh, to quote Either Bill or Ted, I forget <laughs> yeah. which one it That's was. That's a really important point
1: um, of that I think the church is having to deal with these days, uh, and that I think the church really needs yeah. to grapple with is just this reality that the Bible doesn't speak to everything.
0: <laughs> careful,
2: who you, careful who you say that to, Satanist. <laughs> now write an essay explaining why yeah, you're wrong. Like, <laughs>
1: like I, I have, I have a pretty high, like I have a pretty high view of the Bible actually, but but I think it's really important that we recognize that there's just a lot that like. And also being an expert, quote unquote, expert on the Bible doesn't make yeah. you an expert on everything. Um, like there's a lot of things that we that we need to be comfortable saying, like, you know, the Bible doesn't really give us answers there. We have to just do our best and use some wisdom and make sure like we're upholding the greatest commandment, you know, to love God and to mm-hmm. love our neighbor. Um, like and, and and just do our best. The... you know, There's a lot of issues that would be resolved or that would be, uh, helped at least, I guess, if we could, if we could speak of the Bible,
0: like one of the things that, um, caused my wife and I to sort of fall in love with the church that we're at is we started going there when the pastor was teaching through, uh, the series that he titled time bound and timeless. And I think it's terms that he picked up from a book that he read. I can't remember the name of it. And basically this idea that the, the Bible is like an ancient Book written in an ancient time for ancient people. You know that's the time-bound part of it, and there are certain a lot of things in there that are very specific to a very specific time to a very specific people, mm-hmm. and especially the Old yet, Testament. Yeah, yeah, and yet there are also many, many passages that are timeless that have you know I mean, especially Jesus stuff like Sermon on the Mount or or any number of things that it's like these still apply and these are still valuable and pertinent to, to living life as a Christian. Um, and then beyond that, many are both, there are time bound and timeless aspects of, of many passages in there. And our job as Christians and to try to parse that stuff out and figure out like, you know, where are the things that are timeless and where are the things that we, like, these weren't issues that they were dealing with back then. That's just the reality right. of it. And we have to figure mm-hmm. out like, you know, how, what our response is going to be. to yeah, it. At that point, it's so, more about what are the
2: values that you take away uh, of, yeah. of how you treat people and uh, what you want their lives to be like. And then what is, how does Easy that inform stuff. these new decisions that you got to figure out?
1: Yeah. I don't want to say too much because we can always, there always be somebody that gets upset when you start talking about the Bible. Uh, but Like I think it's important to realize, like, just because you see something as as time bound in the Bible doesn't mean it doesn't have like value, or that we're saying that you shouldn't read it. It's just we need to realize, yeah, that the Bible is a really old book. It's a really ancient book, and it's written. I'm doing the uh,
0: the Thomas (laughs) Jefferson translation.
1: (laughs) There you go. Yeah, Uh, but well, well, that's cool. It's it's great to hear um, to hear hear your story. What are your parents? I mean, you said your parents are. Are your parents still around? Uh, my
2: mother is. My father died mm-hmm. mm, 10 years ago. Gosh, like uh, 12 years ago, 2006.
1: Yeah, sorry to hear that, yeah. hear that man. But uh, I'd be curious to hear about, you, know, so you said your mom was always been pretty active and, and involved. Like, what's your relationship with her, like, uh, regarding these things and, like, the work that you do? And uh, It's great. I mean,
2: she doesn't it's, get it. She doesn't understand <laughs> anything about video games. Yeah. Uh, or She never really did. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and, like, currently she's actually... Uh, She's 83 and she's like developed dementia. So she's not all quite there mentally anyway. Um, So yeah, it's not like we have a whole lot of conversations about this stuff recently, but you know, she was always uh, proud of me and excited for, you know, when I was in college and doing well enough there to get, to get into graduate school and then eventually getting my, my PhD, she was super excited and and loved all that sort of stuff. Um, They totally, both her and my dad totally supported my video game habits uh, and interests. You know, my dad bought me my Atari 2600 from Toys nice. R Us back in the day. <laughs> and they would give me pocket money to go down to the arcade or drive me down there. Neither uh, of those things exist anymore. The... Ataris or <laughs> yeah. uh, Toys R Us. No, they're they're <laughs> like Atari, like comes out with these little uh, mini like, collections oh, yeah, periodically. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, generally so. Um, so they were always, you know, would, would support me however they could and yeah. and didn't have a problem with any of that stuff. So it's great.
1: That's cool because obviously the church you were in like did. So that's interesting that your parents had a different view.
2: Yeah. And back in those days, like video games was not part of the conversation mm-hmm. because they were just, right. you know, they're not, they weren't as realistic or generally as violent right. or um, the, the term mm. addiction didn't get thrown around in that context. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more about like, popular media and like Dungeons and Dragons, that kind of stuff yeah. it was the, yeah. it was the cool. rub.
1: Well, it's been great having yeah, you on, Yeah, this was fun. I really enjoyed hearing your story and, and hearing your perspective on the value of games and all, all that kind of stuff. I realized you, as you brought up addiction that we never did talk about uh, the World Health Organization's decision to right. include gaming disorder, which was something that was on our agenda. Um, we may have to have you on. Uh, we have thought about eventually doing like some kind of round table podcast about that topic of addiction, because it's such mm-hmm. a, like, I think it's almost replaced violence as like the hot button thing that people, it's the new moral yeah, panic. it's the new yeah. moral panic. And, you know, like I said, one of our goals with love by nerd is just to, like educate people, yeah. give them some, some bearings on these things. So they know how to be good neighbors and that kind of thing. So um, if we do that, we may, uh, we may reach out to you to be a part of that round, round table and have a discussion about,
2: yeah, hit me up. I'd be game. No pun intended. We'll, uh, we'll double what we paid you for this podcast. <laughs> okay. Triple. <laughs> and we got a deal.
1: Yeah. Yep. That'd be great. Well, thanks so much. Uh, this has been great. Uh, be sure to go check out uh, Jamie's work at psychologyofgames.com. That's right. And uh, also, you are you on Twitter? Anything else you'd mention?
2: Yeah. Twitter at, uh, at Jamie Madigan, J-A-M-I-E. M-A-D-I-G-A-N or you can just go to psychologygames.com and there's links there to follow me on Twitter and Facebook and uh, subscribe to the podcast check out the book uh, and all that sort of stuff psychologygames.com best place to go
1: yeah great and again the name of the book is Getting Gamers Subtitle is the psychology of video games and their impact on the people who play them. So definitely I would highly recommend it. I've been getting a ton out of it. Um, it's awesome. something I've been, I've used in a few articles I've even written. Uh, it's, it's really helpful. So go check that out um, and check out love liner go to love uh If you support us, uh, we can't do these things without your support, uh, without financial support, this podcast, uh, our comic podcast which is called the pull list or free play our other podcast which is kind of a general nerd culture podcast uh, roundtable kind of podcast that's great really entertaining we can't do these things without your financial support so consider um helping us <laughs> with a recurring monthly contribution and if you do you can come on our podcast and ask uh really interesting people like jamie questions so that's one of the small benefits we offer um but uh, go check it out, lovethynerd.com. Check out our other podcast. Rate and review this podcast on iTunes. That'd be a great way to help us. And, uh, and yeah, stay tuned for more uh, news on Love Thy Nerd. Uh, if you want to join our community, just search for uh, Love Thy Nerd Community on Facebook. And you can join that Facebook group and chat about nerdy stuff to your heart's content. tone. Um, and uh, I think that's it for us. Thanks again.